Hello, and welcome to The Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation Turo-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck waiting to chat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Faculty Chronicles. I'm Elizabeth Uni, your host, chair, and associate professor at the Turo College of Pharmacy in New York. Our guest for the day is Dr. Danny Lee. Dr. Lee is an assistant professor of physical therapy at Turo College in Bayshore, New York. Dr. Lee, after receiving his bachelor's in kinesiology from the San Diego State University, got his doctor of physical therapy from the State University of New York, Stony Brook, and his PhD from Nova Southeastern University. He's a research coordinator overseeing faculty scholarship and student projects, as well as teaching a four-part research series and geriatrics coursework to the physical therapy students. He's also an expert in flipped classrooms. Welcome, Dr. Lee. Thank you very much for having me. Well, looks like for your education, you moved across the country from California to New York to Florida. Tell us a little bit about that before we even start to your flipped classrooms. Sure, I'm a Long Island native, but I was fortunate enough to have a family who moved out to San Diego before me. So I went and did my uh, bachelor's degree in San Diego, then decided it was time to come back to New York to do my first doctoral degree. And actually, believe it or not, I was living and working in Connecticut when I completed my PhD uh, at Nova Southeastern in Florida. Uh, the good thing about that program is it allowed me to still maintain full-time work and practice, but travel uh, multiple times a year to Fort Lauderdale, which was nice. So that's wow. my travel story. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you here with us at Toro. So Daniel, you are an expert in flipped classroom. So to start with, tell us what is a flipped classroom? So I think there would be many different def definitions of what a flipped classroom is based on who you asked and how they implemented it. But I will give you my definition of a flipped classroom and it pretty much adheres to the foundational requirements of what is a flipped classroom. And that is really to take the lecture and passive learning from out of the classroom time and to move that into out of the classroom time so that you can spend the time in the classroom promoting active learning. Okay, so then how does this flipped classroom match your teaching philosophy? Or in essence, what is your teaching philosophy and how do you make this work? So my philosophy is based on a few factors. And I think the most important one was how I 
like to learn when I was in school. So I graduated with my Doctor of Physical Therapy in 2009. And at that time, all of the classes were pretty much taught in a traditional manner, which meant you went to class, there was a lecture, there was perhaps um, some lab-based work, and then you would leave the classroom and you would do homework and assignments. And while that was okay for some classes, I felt that the time in the classroom was just a repeat a lot of what we were reading outside of the classroom. And I wasn't necessarily being engaged and challenged at a higher level. And so my philosophy was born out of that desire to engage students in a way which they can feel safe to participate in the classroom, that they can communicate their needs, their thoughts, and also be challenged and pushed and develop new insights that they couldn't just get from reading uh, an, a, an assignment or a chapter. And a lot of this was based off of what I saw medical schools doing. Uh, so mm -hmm. since I graduated in 2009, it's now, two I started flipping, I wanna say in 2017, uh, a lot of the med medical schools had already started using this model. So I, I mm -hmm. based it in a degree off of what they were doing. And so what do you do in the class to flip it? So you give them an assignment or they have to read it early and come. So can you explain that a little bit more? How do you do it in the class? Sure. And I would, just to preface, I would not consider myself an expert in all flipped class, classrooms and all different methodologies, but I would say I'm pretty well experienced in the method I use. And that is simply, I take the lecture materials and I create a PowerPoint and I narrate the PowerPoint using some sort of screen capture software. Now we have so many, uh, Yuja at Toro's excellent. And I will create small chunks. So if it is an hour long lecture, I might create uh, five 12 minute long little modules for the whole lecture. And mm -hmm. I will make those available. Uh, typically I have the entire semester ready and going before class starts. Um, hmm. So, so the students come to class now having read the PowerPoint, listened to a narration that took them through it and includes explanations of what's in the PowerPoint. Sometimes I have lab practicals as well recorded and described. And then they come into class and the first thing we do is I say, are there any questions? I offer a brief review of some of the really complicated topics and then they have an individual quiz which they're then held accountable for having done the material outside of class. After the ah. quiz, we go over it and then it's active learning activities for the rest of the class. And that's what every class basically looks like. Wow. So you received an innovation grant from the Torah uh, or from the Torah University for this flipped classroom teaching. Tell us a little bit about the impetus behind applying for this grant or what were you using the funding for? So I um, was very uh, excited to have received the grant. So I wanna um, thank Toro for that and for making that possible. The grant paid for um, the 
for taking a class that had not ever been flipped before. And this was the research classes. Mm -hmm. So I have flipped other classes. I flipped orthopedic pathology and neuroscience and um, geriatrics, but I had never taken something as difficult as research and teaching statistics and design, something that students really, really have a difficult time with, especially when they're coming into a clinical program like physical mm -hmm. therapy and they expect to learn hand skills. Uh, so the, the grant was to pay for the amount of time it would take to take this entire class, flip it, as well as some uh, materials that could be used in the flipped classroom to promote active learning. Okay. And so why, uh, I mean, so the, your thought for applying for this grant was because this was never done before for the research one and you wanted to do it. Right. I, I wanted to take the classes that I would be responsible for teaching uh, because I was new to the college at that time. I came here in 2019. And mm -hmm. these, this would be the first time I was teaching this class in this format. And I wanted to have the opportunity to redesign it, re-innovate it. And uh, I knew it was going to be a tough class to teach. I knew historically students do not like this material across every mm -hmm. program. I knew I had an uphill battle. So I said, well, <laughs> let me try to make it as entertaining as humanly possible. Awesome. So, so you apply for the grant, you get the grant, and then now you have to implement it. So tell us what were some of the challenges that you had in implementing this? So I will say um, there were quite a few and they still haven't all gone away, but they could say in, in getting started, it's a massive amount of time invested. So if each PowerPoint one creates is let's say it takes eight to 10 hours to create one lecture hmm. and then to create the narration on top of it, mm -hmm. to edit the narrations, then to organize your canvas page or your learning environment in a way that's conducive that the students can find all the information. It's organized, it's in playlists. Uh, so everything needs to be put together. It really takes something like 20 hours per class to get it ready. Were hmm. versus that's at least double the amount of time it would take for me traditionally just to come in with a lecture. You right. also have to create the activities too. Mm -hmm. So you have the passive, you have the passive stuff that happens outside the class. Now you have three hours that you're responsible for that you can no longer use just your lecture to fill that time. Uh, now you have to engage and challenge and relate these learning activities to the material in a way that the students will engage. And um, mm -hmm. that was definitely a big challenge. The, the next ones were really more of a, a culture shift. So anytime you come into a program and there's an established way of doing things and the students mm -hmm. understand things to be a certain way and you rock the boat, mm -hmm that's going to create waves and students are potentially not going to be happy with it. And um, it causes a, it has the potential to cause a disruption to faculty uh, cohesiveness. So yeah. something I did before pursuing the grant was to seek permission uh, from our chair, uh, Dr. Uh, Jill Harbakowitz, 
And she was on board and supported me 100% as she has through everything I've done since being here. And because of that togetherness and because of the support from the, the faculty um, and the administration, that didn't, wasn't too big of an issue. Um, even the students adapted. Wow. So you're saying spending around 20 hours for each lecture compared to, you know, as you rightly said, coming in and doing the traditional classroom. So after spending all this time in getting this all ready to go, how did you ensure that the students were engaged in the flipped classroom? Uh, like they will come prepare reading. I think you said that you'll give them a quiz uh, at the beginning of the class. So something that they were responsible for. Other than that, you're having activities going on, right? So usually the students sit in a classroom and listen to you, or maybe they're just sitting there. It's a warm body, who knows? But now you really have to engage them. So how did you ensure that all this work that you're putting into resulted in student engagement? So that's been a, a, one of the challenges is to get the students to buy in and not do the least amount. Um, I, think, I think one thing as a, as a professor is that we need to have expectations and then we should adjust those expectations because our <laughs> expectations are very, very high and uh, it, it, they're sometimes very unreasonable. So I think the expectations for engagement have changed over the years. At first, mm -hmm. I wanted everybody to say something all the time and really debate and engage and challenge, but not everyone is vocal like that. Not everyone uh, wants to be that involved. And I've recognized that that's okay. So mm -hmm. what I've done or tried to do is to promote this diplomatic learning environment. And that includes um, offering opportunities for all sorts of different learning styles. Mm -hmm. So some people are better learners, as we know, visual, tactile, auditory, and people communicate the same way. Some people move their hands around a lot. Some people uh, will speak very well. Some people can illustrate. So mm -hmm. one of the ways to increase engagement is to offer opportunities to communicate in their preferred format. Mm -hmm. The activities I choose are typically enjoyable, almost game-like, and that gamification really appeals to this generation of students. I mean, I, I like games too, and I grew mm -hmm. up on, you know, I had a Nintendo growing up, so that, that appeals to me, a higher score, challenging. Uh, so I pick activities that students can uh, let loose a little bit, but they're really all learning. Mm. And I, I will say the, the final piece that sort of holds them a bit is that quiz in the beginning separates mm -hmm. the students who put the time in and the students who did not. Okay. Correct. And it may take a few weeks for students to get on board with it. It may take two or three weeks till they really believe that they need to do more <laughs> or they need to adjust. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it always has happened in my classes. And the second piece to that is I have a participation grade. And it's not nebulous or ill-defined. It is their name, the date, a checklist of participation. And in the syllabus, there's a requirement that you need to actively participate in this in X amount of classes per semester. And so this way I could just say you've participated or you haven't, and it's not subjective, it's objectively quantifiable. 
Hmm. So what is your class size? So a typical class size in the Toro PT department is approximately 35. Okay, that's a big enough class to keep a track of everyone, you know, what they're participating in, what they did and those kind of things. So you are also very engaged during this whole three hours, not missing a beat. So you talked about uh, different activities that you you bring up in the classroom, uh, including gamifications, which I can see is becoming very popular these days. So tell us one of your favorite learning activity and why is that your favorite activity? Oh, that's a tough one. That's like asking me to pick one of my favorite kids. Uh, okay, well, if I had to pick one, I, I would say I really enjoy using a, a piece of software called Quizzes. It's Q-U-I-Z-Z-I-Z, -Z -Z, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to the game Cahoots. Kahoot, which is a basically the idea behind it is students can create their own avatar username and then on their their phones or on the computer but everybody has the phone they're able to answer multiple choice questions and the student who answers the most correct in the fastest amount of time uh, is the winner but it's not done anonymously while the names can be anonymous it's on the screen in front of the whole class or through um, Zoom at this junction. And you can see people vying and challenging for rank. And I narrate it and I say, oh, in first place, we have Johnny who's coming up. And now in second place, oh, here comes Tina. She just usurped, <laughs> oh my gosh, look at this, it's a challenge. And so it goes and then, uh, I mean, that usually gets very good. It's received very well. And I'm just going to sneak in the second favorite would be Jeopardy style games, uh -huh. which work very well. But that is something that I find in person is mm. so I, not in Zoom. Oh, OK. And what are the students uh, feedback to these activities? Uh, do they talk about it, that they like it and why they like it? So the, the students feedback for the activities like quizzes is typically a combination of uh, adrenaline, mm -hmm. excitement, frustration, and they, while I can't say anyone has said, this is the most fun I've had all day, mm -hmm. they will typically look forward to that activity as a component of the class. And uh, I usually will spice it up too with a point or two of extra credit. And okay. just that little bit of a dangling carrot just keeps people going. Um, and I try to be fair and, you know, have a, a, a refractory period so that after you've received it, you can't receive it again for a couple of days. This way it gives other people a chance to. But I would right. say they generally enjoy it. So in the beginning, you said something that they, they, they go through all your slides, everything where they come and then you do a brief review at the beginning. How much time do you usually take out of the three hours for review session? That's a good question because this is something I've struggled with. In my first iterations of it, I offered very, very little because hmm. I wanted to hold the students accountable for this outside time. Again, this was a case where my expectations perhaps exceed the mm -hmm. reality 
And mm. the feedback from the students, which is always, well, I shouldn't say it's always valuable, sometimes can be extremely mm -hmm. valuable. Uh, sometimes it's just hard to read. Uh, mm -hmm. But the feedback was that they would have liked more time with me going over things. So mm -hmm. I have increased that time. I would say I typically now spend about a half hour Mm -hmm. And for uh, because the the material is very broad and difficult and brand new to them, uh, it can sometimes go a little bit longer. I try to focus on the big concepts, and the hard part is trying not to spoon feed the answers while you're doing it, um, and mm -hmm. because they take their quiz right after it. Right, right. Got it. Got it. And so looks like to make this work, the flipped classroom work, you need to use a lot of technology, right? For your slide preparation, uh, recording, the narration, editing, getting it all in places. So you seems to be very comfortable with using this technology. So tell us a little bit about this technology, the kind of technology that you're using. And if any of our listening audience wants to use it, where can they learn it from? Or where did you learn it from? And can you give them any tips or suggestions on learning these technologies? Sure. <clears throat> I, I take for granted how technologically dependent this flipped classroom is, at least in the way I use it. Uh, I, I wanna give a shout out to um, the Toro College School Health Sciences um, support team there. So Brittany Handler, um, and the other offerings that have been made available. There's a, a, a fantastic two-part series on how to create modules in Canvas and then how to teach an online class. So much of what I've learned and implement is from that great training that they offer here. But mm. so, so that's something you should definitely take advantage of. In fact, it, it's at some point I imagine mandatory since we're all teaching so much <laughs> online. But that being said, the technology that you really, really need to be versed in um, is first off, you need to set up your learning environment. So Canvas mm -hmm. that we use here has to be set up in a very organized, meticulous manner with things, with each module for each class in a very simple to navigate, same format for every single module, redundant links. I create an outline at the beginning of every module that they can click in. It says, this week, you're going to click on this lecture, you're going to watch this PowerPoint, you're going to do this lab. So they know what they need to do. There's no guesswork. And I mm -hmm. don't need to say it 100 times. Mm -hmm. so, so number one is your, your canvas is set up. And you know, that's a good 40 hours of time getting that right in the end, but you'll get it. The next mm -hmm. piece is you need to be really skilled with um, screen capture. And mm -hmm. again, we have these offerings here at Toro. The, um, the Yuja, Yuja is what we're using now. It's very user-friendly, allows you to edit, uh, but you should be able to go in and try to do it in one take as much as humanly possible because the more you have to edit, the more time it takes. Mm. And the last bit, and I'd say this is probably the most attractive piece is the active learning activities and all the different we have padlet we have flipgrid we have you know quizzes and there's a hundred new ones every day which one are we going to use you again in that in the offerings from toro college you know uh, Brittany handler went through all that with us it was great exposure 
but you have to sit there and you have to play with them and then figure out how you can take something that would be used for elementary school because a lot of them are made to be very simple and use it in a graduate level program program so i think the the technology is really just in in the realm of learning canvas um, learning the applications that you can use and learning how to do a good powerpoint and record it uh, and then beyond that it's really about being a good teacher that makes a lot of sense so all the learning activities you said that quizzes flip grade they all are in that online learning module created by Brittany's team yes as far as i know is Brittany's team uh, created it uh, but yes they are available i learned about many of them through um this and and i knew of some before too so mm -hmm. i every year i sort of developed something different and tried a different way uh, but i found that in doing the modules over this last year that we spent a, a lot of time shown how to actually implement them it was very helpful great so now that you have been using this flip classroom for quite some time what did you learn from this using this specific uh, pedagogy well i learned that charisma in and of itself is not enough <laughs> <laughs> to convince the class that this is important for them and for them to enjoy it um, mm -hmm. so uh, i have learned that it takes a lot of iterations of the class probably at least three to really start getting it to the point where it's running smoothly and you've worked out some of the technological hiccups along the way um, mm. and i've learned that i should continue to be reflective seek feedback and implement feedback when appropriate as as the class is currently occurring when at all possible. And the way I do that is I use Padlet, which mm -hmm. is really nice. And I create mm -hmm. an anonymous board for them with two mm -hmm. columns. Mm -hmm. Column one, tell me what you like. Column two, tell me what can be improved. Mm. I changed it from tell me what you don't like because I figured yeah. you know, you're gonna get a lot of that. And in there the students leave some really insightful stuff i mean occasionally believe it or not there's something positive but mm -hmm. mostly it will be like it would be beneficial if you did this and then i can take that and i read it every week and i can change it so for example my quizzes are and my tests are built to mimic what they're going to see on their board exams uh, mm. one of one of my other jobs is i'm an item writer coordinator uh, for the uh, specialist certificate exams. And we write these items that go on the tests. So I train them to, to be able to answer these questions and they asked for some changes to the test format so that uh, they had a better chance to get a higher score. And mm -hmm. it, it wasn't basically just meant they needed more questions because if they got one or two wrong, they'd get a failing grade. So hmm. that was a simple change. I made it mid-semester. And um, it, you know, that's the kind of thing I'd want my professor to do. 
Right, right. Um, and I agree, students always uh, like to give feedback when they know we are using it and changing the way we are doing things. So you said something very interesting. You said it will take at least three iterations before you know this is working. And you know, yes, of course, tweaks will still happen, but this is something that you can depend on. So what will be your advice to a new faculty joining the school? as a faculty, you know, someone who has, you know, out of the program, uh, new to teaching. So do you say that they should try flip classroom to start with, or should they try teaching in the traditional way and get the lectures all good to go before they try the flip classroom? Or is it okay to start with the flip classroom from the beginning? That's a, a good question. and. Uh... The first thing I would say is before, as a new faculty, you're really trying to figure out your footing in this world and the politics and the culture. And I think mm -hmm. that's really what it comes down to. So the first thing I would do is if I was interested in teaching in a flipped classroom is I would speak to uh, my department chair and I would just get an idea, who else is doing this? Have we ever done this? And that will tell you a lot. They may say, Tons of people do that. Go talk to so-and-so. They've been doing it. They're going to help you. That's great. Other times, you may hear some resistances and say, for the first time you're teaching it, just like you recommended, let's teach it traditionally so you can learn the classroom. Mm. But I, I think a more moderate approach is uh, after you speak to the, faculty, uh, to the chair and really get an understanding of what the culture is there, is you can take one or two classes and flip those. And that's how mm -hmm. I started. I started mm -hmm. with two flipped classrooms. And then I went to a half a semester flipped classroom. And mm -hmm. I did some pre and post tests. So I compared uh, quiz averages from the traditional to the quiz averages in the flipped. And I looked at test scores and the pre and post. And I did a, um, an informal anonymous survey at the midterm and at the end. And so I'd found out, are the scores different? Are the students happy with this? And I found out that over the years, as I started developing and getting better, that the scores were just as good, if not better. Mm -hmm. And the um, most students preferred the flipped classroom rather than the traditional, because it gave them more autonomy and they got in, mm -hmm. to be able to be engaged and they like something that was different than what they were doing, what they were used to doing. It was invigorating and refreshing. And so that's my recommendation is be, be quantitative, get data, figure out the culture, start mm -hmm. small, and then the path will open up. Awesome. So now that we're going through this pandemic and all of us are doing a Zoom style of teaching, um, and you already said that Jeopardy is something that you would only do in person, not on in the Zoom. What are some of the challenges faced in using the flipped classroom for the online teaching? And if you had any challenges, what are some of the strategies that you used to overcome those challenges? So the good news is flipped classroom is pandemic proof for the most part. <laughs> yeah. So when everyone was scrambling to mm. take their classes and convert them to online or figure out what to do or how they're gonna do this, I was already 
so comfortable with this as well as I had all the lectures recorded and available that all I had to do was carry on class like normal with mm -hmm. some tweaks. Mm. And so the tweaks I had to make was um, small group activities instead of being in classroom. So for example, when I'm in class, we might break up into small groups. I might assign each person a area of research that they're going to focus on. Then we come together. Each group would discuss it in the class. There be some process there. Here we just use Zoom breakout rooms instead. So mm -hmm. just modify it. A, mm -hmm. game, a game like Jeopardy, which involves the students actively participating and raising their boards over their heads. Uh, I couldn't do that there. And it was too hard to put people in teams. Mm -hmm. So for something like that, I just said, I have to move away from that and I have to try something different. Mm. So what I can use instead, and it's maybe not as fun, but the Canvas discussion boards are mm. actually a good place to have active learning and you can use them in class. And if you don't want to use those, you could use something like Padlet in class, mm. which allows the students to offer up uh, thoughts and um, whether anonymous or uh, non-anonymously and they can put their postings on this wall and we can have discussions around that. So instead of using something like poll anywhere for mm. them to create word clouds or Plicker, which mm -hmm. is a fun little app that lets you scan it with your phone and it, it, it picks up depending on how you orient your card that the person's holding it will mm -hmm. be an A, B, C, or D response. Uh, we just had to basically work around that. And um, I will say I'm still figuring everything out. I'm still trying to figure out how to make it more active in a pandemic. Uh, but I would say it's, it's still about 90% there just because it was already prepped and ready to go going into it. That's great. Uh, I can see how much uh, before work is needed, but once you have it, then it becomes an easy thing as you go along. So the, by the first time, I can see the amount of work that goes into it. So Daniel, the, you, the way you are talking, you know, the way you are saying the study hours to prepare one lecture, you, one would think that teaching is the only thing that you do, but you are not. You are a very active researcher. Uh, you're actually the research coordinator at your program uh, and you oversee the, the faculty scholarship as well as the student research projects. So tell us a little bit about your research. What is your research topic on? Okay, yeah, so uh, my research areas of interest are evolving over time, but I'd say pretty consistently, it's been in, in two areas. Uh, one is working with older adults and two is limb loss, so after an amputation. And I've been very active with the limb loss community for maybe six years now. And I've developed a mobile application called LimbWise. And LimbWise is a user guide for someone after they lose a limb in order to problem solve issues, to answer questions. And it includes what I did my dissertation work on, which is a knowledge assessment called the SMART. And uh, basically that has taken up so many years and it's been developed and I've, I've spoken about it. I've been fortunate enough to speak about it all across the country uh, as well as the, even in France. 
Uh, that was back when we could travel, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and so that that's something that has been a real passion of mine. I continue to develop that. And then the other one that I just started here when I got to Toro, which is fun, I'm having a really good time with it, is this um, geriatric simulator suit. And this is basically a suit that you can wear that's supposed to simulate what it's like to be an older adult. And the idea is health science students like PT or OT, they are typically much younger <laughs> than their patients. I mean, the mm -hmm. average age is in the early to mid twenties right. and they're going out and they're working with people 70 or 80. And it's really hard for a younger adult to necessarily consider the ramifications and the hardships that an older adult experiences on a daily basis, like achy knees or a neck that won't rotate uh, mm -hmm. or a stiff back. So the suit tries to replicate it, puts them through an obstacle course of sorts, and then looks at some outcomes of interest like empathy and mm. um, understanding of the older adults lived experience. So mm. it's, a, it's a mixed method study and hopefully as restrictions on research are decreased, uh, we can have more uh, of that research happening. Wow, that is, that's quite something um, to feel how it is to be old. Um, you know, you should also develop a simulation for older people like us to wear to feel how it is to be young again, you know, to have all that adrenaline rush. There is, I think that would be quite interesting. That's a good, that's a very good thought. I think that would be, it's way easier to stop motion than it would be to assist it. I think I'd need an engineer on my team for that, but that's a very good idea. You may sell it more than yes. the other one. Yes. <laughs> well, Daniel, thank you so much for talking to us today. Uh, you gave us a lot of insight about Flip Classroom. I know this is a buzzword these days, and it's always good to hear from an expert as to what it is actually like doing a Flip Classroom. So thank you so much for talking to us, and good luck with your research. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be part of this podcast. I look forward to hearing uh, from other faculty members. and. I would like to just give some shout outs. I'd like to say a shout out to um, Dean Luis Primavera, who is the Dean of School of Health Sciences, who has been just such a supportive and positive influence on my career just in the short time I've known him, um, as well as uh, Dr. Herbakowitz for all her support and all the faculty in the PT program. I couldn't be happier to be here at Toro and be part of a, a real family. So just thank you to all and thank you very much, Elizabeth, for taking the time to speak with me. You're most welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Um, and this is Elizabeth Uni from the Toro College of Pharmacy signing off from the Faculty Chronicles. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and University system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and will keep listening. So join us next time on the Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation.